0: Hello and welcome to Watkins Wise Words, a podcast that celebrates conscious, passionate, wise and happy living. Thank you for tuning in and here is your host.
1: So hello and welcome. My name is Steve Nabel and today I'm speaking with Manisa James on Enlightenment is Your Nature. Now, Manisa is a psychotherapist, counsellor, author of five books of meditation, and has worked internationally for the past 20 years as a meditation facilitator, and also she works as Osho's appointed editor. She's best known as the voice in Pune that asked Osho questions, or was the one reading out the sutra for his many daily discourses, which went on for over 15 years. Her website is oshosemasati.org. There will be a link going out with this uh, podcast. So, hi Manisa. Hi Steve. Well, my first question to you is, is, let me ask you about your journey and your experience of Osho because it really, I, I think from my memory, it was really a, a 70s phenomenon, wasn't it? A lot of a lot of Westerners went to India in the 70s to, to really embrace Osho and his teachings.
0: Well, that's so. I mean, in the 70s, I, I was here in England then, though I'm actually Australian born. I happened to be here, fortunately for me. It was a very exciting time. The humanistic growth movement had got underway in Esalen and, and come over here to Europe. So there are all sorts of Um, psychological workshops happening, um, primal therapy and bioenergetic and encounter workshops so uh, as did I, many people became involved in that movement and it it was wonderful and many of us felt the limitations of it including the, the therapists themselves and it was a sort of, we then segued into what OSHA was offering and so many, many of us then uh, migrated, as it were, to to India to to be with him.
1: So the book is about enlightenment. The fundamental difference between psychology, therapy, and meditation. So it's a big question. Uh, but what is enlightenment?
0: As always, Osho manages to express profundities in very very simple, accessible language. And in essence, he he's saying he's defined it in many ways. But it's a it's a relaxing into who we are. That's why he calls it it's actually our nature, it's not something to be achieved. He talks in the book, you know, enlightenment is not the top rung of the ladder. It's not um to be climbed up to. You are all ladder climbers. Enlightenment is about throwing away all ladders, even ones with spiritual aspirations might climb. It's not about achievements. Throw away the ladder. Stop doing things that take you further away from who you really are, hmm. relax into your nature. Hmm.
1: Yeah, because there's a lot of confusion, I think, in the West, because enlightenment really is a Eastern term, isn't it? We don't get that in the kind of Western religious path so much personal awakening and enlightenment. It's more about kind of embracing God or some higher power, isn't it? Yes,
0: some external entity, and, and this is where um, Osho and indeed Buddha is also. Uh, understanding is completely different. So it's a whole 180 degree, degree term that our essentialness, our essential being lies within. In fact, we don't need to follow a Buddha or a Jesus. We have our own Buddhahood to be realized.
1: Do you find that um, you as a Westerner going over to India and embracing this, was there any kind of difficulty at the beginning, kind of embracing a, a different philosophy?
0: The difficulty actually began when I was still here in England um, seeing sannyasins, as we're called, um, his devotees, disciples, Um, I I was very pig-headed. Perhaps I still am a bit, 40 Mm. years on, Mm. I was very stubborn. I didn't, you know, some of my friends were being um, turned on to Osho, and I was very much, I don't need a father figure, and I know what I want in life. I I know who I am. So the questions they seemed to be interested in or the answers they were interested in um, didn't seem to be mine, though I have to say when I read his book, his first book, which I read while I was here, I, unbidden, the realisation came to me, this man knows the truth. So and I, so I was in a sort of um, bit of a dilemma because I felt that was so from reading his book, and yet I didn't want to join any sort of movement. I wasn't going to wear um, orange robes as we did in those days, or a marler around my neck with his photo. So that was when the difficulty, if you like, happened. But as soon... As I arrived in Pune, I decided to call in there. I was actually on my way back to Australia, hmm. having been away four years. As soon as I was in the same room as him, and then he said at one point when I was invited to, to come close, and he asked you know about me a bit, and he said, so think about taking sannyas. And suddenly, all the um, issues I'd had about that simply disappeared, and and I became a sannyasin, and on that night, October the seventh nineteen seventy four my life did a complete turnabout, and I've been on that um the path that it set me on for well, I just had my forty third sannyas birthday last week
1: oh wow. <laughs> Well, let me ask you, uh, one of my impressions of Osho was that, uh, unlike perhaps a lot of other Indian masters, he had a real understanding for the Western psyche, and he had a great sense of humor. I've seen a a few of his videos which are hilarious. Can you say something about your experience with him as a Westerner?
0: Yes. um, I was fortunate enough, one of my roles was the first seven years I was with him, and I I, that was 74 when I first met him, and I stayed there in his, what was then called an ashram. Mm. One of my roles was to, to go to the evening meetings, which were for a much smaller group of people than the morning discourses. It was called darshan, and it was an opportunity for sannyasins, but also visitors, to to ask Osho questions. It might be questions about meditation, or about their relationships, or this or that. And um, my job came to record those evenings and that gave me the opportunity to witness him with so many different kinds of people, Westerners, of course, Easterners, uh, people of all sorts of cultures, conditionings, ages, degrees of intelligence and understanding. Extraordinary capacity Osho show has to tune into each individual and to be able to connect with them in a meaningful way. And yes, you brought up the sense of humour—just amazing, a wonderful attribute. Because I think if there's any downside to meditation, it is that we can become a little bit serious mm. about ourselves, and of course, then the spiritual ego starts being created. So humour is a terrific way to to sabotage that that happening and to stay light and um, non-serious. Yes.
1: Yeah. So you've been really immersed in Osho's philosophy uh, around enlightenment. From that point of view, what would you say gets in the way of awakening or enlightenment?
0: I think this idea we've already um, discussed of thinking we have to do something, that we have to do certain disciplines or methods or have a different way of life, be other than who we are. And I must say, I had that idea because... When I first went to them because it is so strong in in our society, and probably in Asian societies too, the the notion that there is something not right about us—that I mean—I think that society feeds this to us. Our parents feed it to us because they're fed that too. It's not that our parents are to blame; they were fed that too. So um, that gets in the way. That the non acceptance of ourselves. Um, as you know, I also work as a psychotherapist and. Across the board, wherever I travel, um, Russia, Turkey, Israel, Australia, Scandinavia, America, in sessions and in my workshops, so many of us say, you know, I I don't like myself, I hate myself. So this non-acceptance of ourselves, of course, is a very strong initial barrier.
1: I think I heard once a Dalai Lama at a talk, somebody asked him ab- about self-hatred and he had to turn to his translator said, what does that mean? And he had <laughs> it explained and, and then he says, we don't really understand that concept. And yeah. Do you think that this kind of idea of self-hatred, self-attack, self-criticism is, is a very Western conditioning?
0: Possibly, though I also think you know, countries like China are very much into pushing their kids into being something other than they might like to be. So that pushing, which has in it, of course, the underlying thing is, as you are, you're actually not good enough yet. You know, get those degrees, be the top of your class, and we'll really love you and you'll be worthwhile. So perhaps it's more overt in the West, but I think it's there in all of us, this Mm. feeling I'm not good enough. So once we can be in a more understanding and loving frame of mind, um, accepting ourselves, then the relaxation starts and the, it then becomes possible to move into meditation, through meditation, come to know ourselves beyond this personality that we have as our sort of outer shell, as it were.
1: Now, uh, one of the chapters in the book is Peeling the on- Onion of Personality, Understanding Your Conditioning. I know she was very hot on this subject, wasn't it, about peeling away conditioning to get to the core essence and... Um, I think you say in this particular chapter, man is like an onion, like an onion with layers and layers of personality, and behind all those layers is hidden the essence, and this essence is like emptiness, a void, more like non-being than being. Uh, Now, now reading that, that's quite a a statement, isn't it? Um, What can you say about this undoing of um, the layers of conditioning to find this kind of being, non-being state?
0: Yes, and, and the, the onion is a great analogy. And by, by the way, I heard you say that I write or I say it's his, Osho's book. Um, I was um, simply his editor of some books, but um, these are all Osho's
1: words. Yeah, sure.
0: Um, the, the layers of the onion, a great analogy because, of course, of the and when you really peel the onion completely, there is nothing there. And the space of nothingness or emptiness, which to the Western mind is like, why would I want to reach that space? But um, experientially realized and felt it it's uh, beyond words, I was going to say blissful that sounds a little sort of pretentious or spiritual yeah. but um, just a sense of utter fulfillment let's say, I'm more comfortable with that. So the layers of the onion um, ones that probably, or some of us, we will, some of them we will certainly recognize the social niceties, the layer of of um, the things, the sort of lubricants we use to get on in society, which are needed. You know, the good morning, how are you? What's the weather like? We're very good at that in England.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, those, those are needed, but it's when, if we only relate on that very superficial level, if we think that's who we are, then we're stuck at layer one of social niceties. The second one is the layer of roles and games, the development of the ego. And again, we... We do have certain roles in life where we're wives, we're teachers, we're managers, uh, we're girlfriends, we're mothers, and so on. But again, it's it's when we get identified with those roles and stuck in them and think we are those various relationships, mm. that's where we get stuck, and so our inner growth is blocked. And the third layer, this is where it's, for me starts getting really interested, interesting, is what he describes as chaos, when... If we've managed to move through those first two, perhaps started meditating, then suddenly we think, but, you know, as those layers, those first two layers are seen to be as they, what, for what they are, just layers, then who am I? So we're thrown into chaos. We we don't have a, a sense of definition anymore because we've seen through those previous layers. If if we hang in there, if we are meditating, if we have the guidance of, of a realized uh, teacher or master then that actually takes us even deeper. And then comes the layer he calls of death, the fourth layer. Death-like experience. Anyone who's meditated deeply will know that with the um, going deeper and deeper into ourselves, with all these layers going, it can feel like a death. Mm. A death of myself in those various roles, um, not knowing who I am, all all the... Frameworks that I define myself by have, have dissolved um, and um, become immersed in a sort of vast space, very beautiful uh, and death like, also, oceanic sort of space. And then the fifth layer, the final la- layer, is of life. And and it's a fantastic chapter to read, particularly because he talks about having described those layers, then takes us back to ourselves as child and explains how we take on these various roles, various layers.
1: Is this, various. The, is this one of the differences between perhaps psychology and spiritual practice that the spiritual practice is taking you through these layers where psychology is not necessarily doing that?
0: Well, um that's true. And also that psychology doesn't acknowledge that we have um in us this, this aspect of what I can call beingness. Psychology accepts us as a body mind, but This is the the essential difference between conventional psychology and what Osho calls the psychology of the Buddhas. Conventional psychology is based on the understanding that we have a mind. And I'm a psychotherapist, so I know how it works, that psychology sees us, you know, we come with a problem, and let's sort that out and let's, you know, analyze and dissect it and see what can be done about it. Mm. Um, and, And needs a certain understanding of the mind. In the psychology of the Buddhas, as Osho calls it, of course we need and and gather um, an understanding of the mind that's needed to know how it works, how we can utilize it to help us with our meditation, so rather than letting it get in the way, but then moving beyond it. Because the mind is not the vehicle through which to get in touch with our sensual selves, our original face.
1: Let me ask you about the emotional side because this is another aspect of uh, the spiritual practice and psychology. What about this process in terms of emotion? You know, people going through this process, emotions will come up, angers, griefs, you know, from the past and present or um, all kinds of stuff. What is the best approach for this, of dealing with these emotions? Because we don't want to, we kind of want to, I suppose, go from being reactive to something else, isn't it?
0: That's right, that's yes. To go, as OSHA puts, to go from being reactive to responsive. Yeah. When yeah. we react, we're just like automatic, you know, when you knee-jerk reaction, someone hits your knee with, a, with the doctor's thing yeah. and your knee jerks out or someone says something or writes an email, you just send an email back, you've reacted, you're really mm-hmm. angry. So it's going from that state which is unconscious, it's, it's a habitual uh, action, to a considered more conscious response. So a meditator is of course going to still be experiencing the full range of emotions. It's it's lovely to have feelings, it's part of being human, and um, it's when we get attached to our emotions that the difficulties arise, the problems, if we're a little bit down and we become depressed and then we get just very caught up in that or or conversely, we have some really terrific, happy moments and then get attached to those so that when they're gone, we, we feel bereft and that something's wrong. It's understanding that feelings come and go. They're part of being human and um, to experience them as consciously as we can without this identification, to let them come and let them go. So, we're talking about the phenomenon of what we call watching, which is from inside, almost seeing it as a movie, um, just noticing them happening, still being, we can be in our, our feelings, but not taken over. For example, one, of, one issue that comes up to many of us is, is anger or anxiety. Uh, let's focus particularly on anger, because that can really impact on other people too. when anger comes... To notice it. Now there's a a wonderful technique Osho describes called take note three times. So when anger comes up to internally say anger, anger, anger. And in this way, in my understanding, indeed in my experience, it helps me be more conscious of what I'm feeling and therefore not to react. And also as a meditator to understand that it's my anger. Someone can't make me angry Uh, I must have that in me and that someone else has simply provoked it. So it's taking responsibility for our feelings um, and therefore not throwing it on the other. That's not a good idea. That creates then a vicious circle and in a way it's irresponsible, as I say. So it's simply living the full gamut of feelings, not getting identified, taking responsibility for them and bringing more and more consciousness to your emotional life.
1: Now, you have a brilliant chapter titled called Your Mind is Not Yours. And Osho says, your mind is not your mind. This is something basic to be be remembered. Your mind is an implantation of the society in which you've been accidentally been born in. Um, Can you say something about this?
0: Yes. um, My understanding is he's, he's talking about something for me which is very personally observable is how, as kids, we are gradually fed through our parents, our teachers... Um, society in general belief systems and, and ideas and these create the foundation of the mind for example one that is very topical in, in um, England and actually throughout the world right now is racism so part of kids um, belief system might might be about um, the value or disvalue of people of certain color or ethnicity so um, and this mind we um get identified with and think is us now we're not doing discarding the mind at all the mind has a very positive value we you and i had to arrange this talk through our minds our minds allow us to make travel plans and decide on a career and and so on it's it's really a, a fantastic instrument and it has its limitations
1: now another chapter you've got here, here or Osho talks about waking up from the dream. Now a number of spiritual teachers and masters have this metaphor of waking up from the world, and also it f- featured in that film, didn't it, The Matrix, the red pill, green, yes, blue pill yes. type thing. Yeah. Is this a useful metaphor? Do you think?
0: I, I, well, yeah. Again, for me, it's again, it's a it's a felt experience. I know the times. Well, later, I know the times I've gone on automatic that I'm not present. To the moment, in other words, meta, um, metaphysically speaking, I'm asleep. Um, so yes, it is. And in those moments when I am present and conscious and as alert as I can be, um, I do feel I've woken up. So yeah, I think it's it is a very useful um, metaphor.
1: Yeah, I like it. Um, can i just it's a beautiful book enlightenment is your nature the fundamental difference between psychology therapy and meditation who's this book essentially for would you say manisha
0: well certainly for people like me therapists yeah um and i've recommended to many of my therapist friends to um meditators because there's so much about and, uh, wonderful explanations about the, the mind, about consciousness, unconsciousness, the phenomenon of watching, and how consciousness, watching, and awareness are actually different. Osho defines them in a very particular way. I think it's for anyone, Steve, who's interested in their the, the inner world.
1: Wonderful. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for talking with me about the book. And um, just to remind people about your website, it's osho Samasati.org, And our link will go out with this uh, podcast. Thanks That's so good. much.
0: Okay, terrific, Steve. Thank you.
1: Like what you've heard? Be part of our community by visiting watkinspublishing.com. Following us on Twitter at watkinswisdom or liking us on Facebook.